This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are Capitalizers, and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, the Cap in Capitalize. And today, this episode goes out to all of those that have either previously served or are currently serving any form of the United States of America military. For those that know me well, know that our servicemen and women have a special place in my heart. Just as with investing, my family is extremely picky when we look to support areas that we are passionate about and right behind our faith is doing anything we can to give back to the men and women that protect our great nation every single day. A few months back, I was speaking with several colleagues about various ways to support and mid-conversation, I realized a huge issue. In our business, we've been blessed to serve those from all walks of life. What is common in basically any ranks of the military is that when those that are motivated enough to do so reach out asking for assistance, I have quickly found out that there isn't really much out there that gives custom financial advice to those that serve our country, which is beyond odd to me since you all that are listening that serve pay the ultimate sacrifice. What I want to do for today's episode is provide you all that serve with the tools and tricks to make sure that regardless if you make the military a lifelong career or move into the private sector, both set yourselves up for tremendous success as well as set the foundation for your future generations. I wanted to answer the most common questions our military fans come up with, and I'm excited to equip you all to lock and load when it comes to the almighty dollar. Now, before we get into the questions, I first want to start off with a story that gave me an initial insight into military personnel's finances because at first glance, I was stunned. But as our conversation continued, I realized the opportunities were there. So about a year ago or two, I had the honor to meet one of the most dialed-in 19-year-olds of all time. This young man is beyond his years, and he came to me guns blazing, metaphorically speaking, of course, to learn how to capitalize his finances, and I was thoroughly impressed. I still am. He had everything written down, from his expenses to income per month, his checking account dollar amount, savings, TSP, debts, You name it, financially speaking, he had it down. That is the first piece of advice I would give you all listening in. Take out a piece of paper and write down what you own and owe. So your checking account, your savings, home if you have one, TSP, which we'll get into in a second, debts like a credit card or mortgage, investment accounts if you have them, 
and your expenses per month, food, rent, etc. And lastly, how much you make each month. And by that, I mean how much actually hits your checking account on a monthly basis. Because most of you get paid weekly. Simply multiply that by four to keep it really easy. So back to my story, this guy was ready to rock and roll. But what stuck out to me was that his quote-unquote income per month was next to nothing. Now, after poking and prodding and discovering a bit more, it started to make sense. So you see, as I was reading his income per month, I was wondering how the heck anyone could live off of $1,200 a month. But I quickly realized that in the military, for those of you that are not familiar, there are certain things that you do not have to pay for, so to speak. So, for example, being a Marine on base, there was no rent to be paid. That's huge. On top of that, health care was paid in full, as it should be for those that serve. And lastly, utilities were covered and food was served in the chow hall. So when I was breaking all of these things down, I went from being concerned beyond words to pseudo-hyped for this guy's future. And for those of you that are listening in that currently serve, yes, you have earned those things I mentioned above in regards to not paying directly for them. But for the pure sake of financial advice, this is a tremendous advantage that you all can greatly capitalize on. Most people's largest expenses are those that you all don't need to worry about, meaning that anything you do make every month is essentially bonus money. Now, sure, you may want to go off base for a non-chow hall dinner, which I totally get it, or maybe you go to a sporting event, home for the weekend, you name it. But other than that, you have a huge opportunity at your hands. So the next question is, how do you capitalize your finances with what you are making every month. Now, this is going to bring us to one of the first most popular questions, I should say, you all message me about. How do I best use my TSP? I don't understand it. Can you explain it to me? So your TSP is the equivalent of your 401k if you work in the private sector, uh, a 403b if you work in the nonprofit world, and the 457 plan if you work in government. I want to stress the importance of your TSP because regardless if you are 19 and just getting started or a seasoned veteran that has served 20 plus years, your TSP plan will be a huge, if not the huge ticket to a beyond successful retirement. And as for how do I best use it, let me break it down for you as simply as possible. So there are three main things you need to know about your TSP. The first being how much should you put in or can you put in? The second is how should you contribute, meaning before tax, which we call that a traditional contribution, or after tax, which is formally known as a Roth contribution. And then third, how should you invest your TSP money? The first question is arguably the most important, especially especially for those that are younger, as the longer you have until retirement, the more time you have to let that money grow. Most people don't really know where to start, so I like to first begin by asking the question, what is your company, or in this case the military, matching for your contributions? 
Now, the answer as of December 2022 is dollar for dollar up to 5%. So this means that for every 5% of your paycheck that you contribute to your TSP, the military will put in that same amount. So if you don't know how much to start off with contributing, start with that. And the reason, well, it's simple. It's free money. Who doesn't want that? Once you make that commitment to 5%, What I would then do is set a reminder in your phone or whatever device you prefer for three months down the road. Once the three months pass, the next step is simple. All things being equal, if you are still living within your means and your cash has increased in your checking account, that should tell you that you can afford to increase your TSP contribution. And if you can complete that mission... I would only increase it by 1% at a time. And from there on, every three months, check your checking account amount. If the dollar amount has increased, pop up that TSP contribution by 1%. If the dollar amount is the same in your checking account, you're in a good holding pattern and don't alter it. And for whatever reason, you have to decrease it by 1%. You can do so But don't get in the habit of it as we want to keep climbing. We don't want to go backwards. I would say once you get to contributing 10% of your paycheck, you are well on your way to rocking and rolling to an incredible retirement. But that doesn't mean that is the limit. The most you can contribute to your TSP plan if you are under 50 in 2023 is actually a dollar amount. It's $22,500 or $1,875 a month if you decide to do it monthly. Now, if you are 50 or older, it's 30 grand. Or if you want to think about it monthly, 2,500 bucks a month. Now, let's face it. That's a lot of money. And for those of you that are just starting out, your pay could very well be less than that. So this is why I stress the percentage route. And eventually, if you play your cards right, You could get up to that maximum, but I want to also stress heavily that you do not need to max out your TSP to have a successful retirement. I have met with dozens of people that regardless of whether it's a TSP, a 401k, you name it, they've never got remotely close to maxing out their retirement plans, but retired with hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes even a couple million. So... The point is to get started with at least that match and work your way up one percentage point every three months. Now, the second question, how should you contribute to your TSP before you pay tax traditionally or after you pay tax, which is Roth? It can seem a bit trickier, but it's actually pretty straightforward. So let's first break it down by age. If you are under 45 and for sure under 35. There's both good and bad news with that. Let's start with the bad, just because I like to end on a high note. Unfortunately, the younger you are, on average, the less you're going to get paid. Now, this makes sense since the younger you are, the earlier you are in your career, meaning less experience, etc., etc. What's great about that is that you are not in as high of a tax bracket, plus you have much more time until you can take this money out 
without paying a penalty of 10% at 59.5. Let's call it 60. Let's just round it up. So you add these two things together and the after-tax Roth contribution into your TSP account is your ticket. Think about it for a second. Go back to the story of the young man I mentioned earlier. If $1,200 a month is hitting your paycheck, you are in a very low tax bracket. So paying the tax today of virtually nothing and allowing that money to grow tax-free for the rest of your life is going to be a huge winner. For the majority of you that serve, if you are single or the only income for your household, chances are that Roth is going to be the ticket for, for you from now until retirement. However, if you are over 45 or and or, I should say, you have a spouse that has a higher earning income, there's both good and bad with that. So the bummer is you're going to be paying taxes. And in fact, you're going to be paying a lot of taxes, which I can tell you 100% of the time is not enjoyable. Also, if you are 45 or older, you don't have as much time until that retirement age of 59 and a half I mentioned earlier, as well as time for that tax-free growth of your Roth to really make a tremendous dent. So generally speaking, this is where the traditional contributions to your TSP come into play. So think of it like this. Let's say that you are, I don't know, let's say that you're an officer, high-ranking officer, that you've worked your way up the ladder, you're earning some great money, And let's say you're also married and your spouse is earning a good living. So, I mean, it's not out of the world to think that you could be in the 30 plus percent tax bracket, which is high. And I love to enlighten people on this lovely tipped investment return you can guarantee is actually on the taxes you don't pay. Okay. It's a rule I would actually go and write down if I were you. So putting that math to paper, if you contributed pre-tax, which is avoiding that 30 plus percent tax bracket today, and once you get to retirement, you're in the, I don't know, 14% tax bracket, you just made 16% on the taxes that you will never have to pay. And I would take that return any day of the week. So that's the big difference between contributing pre-tax and Roth, which is after tax. Generally, I like to pick one or the other and stick to that. However, you could decide to mix up the contributions if you'd like. So for example, you could take 4% pre-tax and 3% Roth, but unless you are working with a professional, I would make your life easy and commit to the advice that I laid out. Now, before we get into the investments of your TSP, I wanted to touch on a question that often comes up when talking about planning for retirement, which is what is better, a TSP or an individual retirement account or a Roth IRA, which is basically the tax-free equivalent of an individual retirement account. For starters, one is not better than the other per se, but I like to use the golden rule of unless you are maxing out your TSP and your spouse's 401k, if you know, he or she has one, I wouldn't go opening an individual account of any sorts. And there are a few reasons why. First, 
I would say one of the golden rules in life is less is more. So sure, you can get a more custom, personalized account. And people in my industry prey on people to get them to think that this is the better route because that's how they get paid in many aspects. But at the end of the day, you can invest in basically the same thing within your TSP as you can in a personalized account. Now, second is the costs. Now, I'm fairly sure that your dollars will go infinitely farther in your TSP than any custom account. With the match, which is already a huge win, combined with the sheer size of every single person that contributes to a TSP account, your dollars will be significantly cheaper than your own individual account. And and another way to think about it is this way. If you were going to go shopping in bulk, you would probably go to Costco. But if you needed to pick up something small, you would go buy things at, I don't know, a local retail store, Walmart, Amazon, you name it. Why? Well, it's simple. When you buy in bulk, you save money at Costco. And in terms of your retirement, your TSP is your Costco, whereas the retail store, Walmart, Amazon, that's going to be the custom individual account. Now, until you've maximized both your TSP and or your spouse's retirement plan at his or her work, it simply doesn't make sense opening a custom account. Now, as tax season draws near and you have extra cash on hand that you simply don't need, that's where I would say open up that Roth IRA or IRA and contribute that extra money towards that account. But that is the only exception. Now, before we get into the third and final major question that you will need answered on how to invest your TSP's money, it's time for a shout out to today's sponsor of today's episode. Roll it. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap in capitalized, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Now, the third and final major question that you need answered is how to invest your TSP's money. What's awesome about the TSP plan is that there are only five investment options. So the first one is the C fund, which stands for Common Stock Index Investment Fund. Now, this tracks and mirrors the S&P 500 index, which tracks and or invests in the top 500 companies in the United States. This is the most popular benchmark in investing. It's 
probably the most well-known. Also, we're going to get a little technical as we go down this list, but I promise we'll try to keep it as surface level as possible. So in the meantime, bear with me, okay? You're going to need to know this. The second fund is the S fund, which is the Small Capitalization Stock Investment Index Fund. This tracks smaller companies in the United States. And with smaller companies, there's going to be greater risk and or reward. So it's important to understand the give and take here. The third is something called the I-Fund, which is the International Stock Index Investment Fund. And this tracks companies outside of the United States in more than 20 developed countries. Many like to use this as a way to blend both the C and S funds to get some global diversification. Now, the fourth investment is the F fund, Fixed Income Index Investment Fund. This contains government, corporate, and asset-backed bonds, which is a fancy way of saying this is a more conservative fund than the previous three that I mentioned. With more conservatism comes potentially less return. So those that get closer to retirement like to sprinkle this in to their portfolio. And the last one is the G fund, the Government Securities Investment Fund. This fund cannot lose money and is the most conservative investment in the lineup. But the bummer with that is that your return, it's going to be consistently very low. So most people don't like to use this until they are towards the brink of retirement. Now that we've laid these out, let's talk about how you should invest according to where you are in the retirement timeline. Now, unfortunately, due to compliance and regulations, I cannot give specific investment advice on this episode. However, let's think about this generally. If the retirement without penalty age is 59 and a half, and again, let's call it 60, let's round it up. If you are 45 or younger, we know that you have at least 15 years until you ride off into the sunset, and in most cases, many more. This is key because we know that over a 15-year period, you have a 99.88% chance of earning a positive return in the stock market and from January 1871 through December of 2022, I'm just laughing at the range because you can't get any more accurate and broad than this, that return has averaged 9.09%. Now, is that guaranteed? No. But with a 99.88% chance, I like your odds. Now, how have more conservative investments done over the same 15-year rolling period? If you averaged the four major bond indices from 1973 to 2009, <clears throat> that rolling period return would be approximately 6.75%. Now, it's not bad, but boy, oh boy, does 9.09 sound a whole heck of a lot better. And lastly, the most conservative investments, like the G Fund, earned 4.67% since it started April 1st, 1987. So, back to the question of what you would rather hypothetically have. 9.09%, 6.75%, or 4.67%. The answer is pretty obvious. How you would go about selecting the three stock market funds, which are the C, S, and I, 
It's up to you and or if you work with a financial planner, you could use a financial advisor, but if possible, go the planner out. But the, the point is, now you know how to better handle the investment game going forward. Now, if you're within three years of retirement and for sure within one year, you are going to want to make sure you meet up with a financial planner ASAP so that you can allocate accordingly so that you can retire on your terms, not your investments. This is where the F and G funds will come into play. But for the sake of time and again, compliance, I won't get into the weeds during this episode. So moving on from the retirement conversation, let's chat about some topics that are important for you to know today. One of the major questions I've been getting is, how much should I have in my checking and savings account? This is where you will have a massive advantage over most civilians. Because the general rule of thumb I preach is having a floating amount of monthly expenses in your checking account. And once you have that, three to six months in your savings account. Now, because most of you in the military have rather low monthly expenses, building up that amount needed should come rather quickly. So if you're single, I would say three months ought to do it in the emergency fund department. Now, if you have a family to look after, six months is going to be your target. Once you have that amount squared away, this dovetails into another question I get asked all the time. Should I live on or off base? Should I rent or should I buy? Now, this all depends where you are at in your career. I would say that if you're just getting started and are still in the relocation mode, I would probably err on the side of staying on base as you can save a tremendous amount of money. Not to mention, it would be an absolute pain to manage a home or a rental that you bought in one city and then have to manage from afar, sometimes overseas. They can be very expensive. But on the other hand, if you're at the point where you know that your town that you are stationed in is going to be your home base, pun, pun intended, I guess, or this is going to be where you transition into civilian life, this is when I would say looking to buy is going to be a wise move. But by no means, I want to be crystal clear, by no means am I against renting, but with the military's VA benefits, you have access to home affordability that normal civilians simply don't have. And so buying a home and building up ownership, which we call that equity in the world of finance, so building that up of your home, that's going to provide tremendous benefits in the long run. I mean, it, it is literally the American dream. And before you look to buy a home, however, you're going to want to make sure that you have a mortgage broker that knows the ins and outs of VA home loans. A simple Google search of these people in your area, that's, that's going to do the trick. Okay, There's more than enough qualified people out there. One question that often gets overlooked is, do you have enough emergency fund keep going, to cover unexpected expenses and or your next move, specifically the relocation. So the first part, we, we already covered that earlier in today's episode, but the second part of the, the next move or relocation, this is critical. Now the good news is that it should not take a tremendous amount above and beyond what the military already provides 
you for your next move. And from my experience working with people in the forces, if you've saved roughly $5,000 above and beyond your emergency fund in your savings, I'd say that should be plenty. Even if it's a little bit more, that's why you have an emergency fund in the first place, right? After that move, simply build that money back up systematically and you're going to be golden. Now, for those of you that have kiddos, it's valuable to know that with regards to your post 9-11 GI Bill, you can transfer your unused education benefits to immediate family members, which means your spouse and or your children. In regards to your life insurance, your service members group life insurance, SGLI, it's going to cover up to $400,000 in the event of passing. And just to give you an idea, you pay seven cents for every $1,000. Now, I often get asked if this is enough. And the short answer is it really depends on the circumstance. If you're a single man or woman without heirs, I'd say, sure, this is probably going to be enough to provide whoever you deem the beneficiary. But if you have a family at home, especially with a couple little ones, and especially if you are the sole breadwinner of the household, I would probably look into purchasing some additional insurance regardless of it's a term policy, a permanent insurance policy, or a combination of the two. And this is where you'd want to lean on a true financial planner and or an insurance specialist to help. But for those that are transitioning out into the civilian world or retiring altogether and would like to continue to have this insurance coverage, which you can do that, you would want to contact Veterans Group Life Insurance, VGLI, and you will have one year and 120 days from leaving to make that happen. And do not, do not wait till the last minute. I beg of you. Now, in regards to those that are about to retire from the armed forces, I want to first start by saying on behalf of all of my listeners, I want to thank you for the incredible sacrifice you have given to our wonderful US of A. If I was in front of you right now, I would give you a handshake and immediately transition into a hug to bring it in for the good stuff. And many of you have emailed in asking really a slew of questions. So I'm, I'm just going to go rapid fire with them. How do I calculate an appropriate amount of savings needed for retirement? Do I have enough? Will I receive a pension? How much? How can I maintain my lifestyle throughout retirement? Do I need a post-retirement budget? Short answer is yes. When do I take my first RMD? How much is it? When should I start withdrawing Social Security? Does my military pension affect Social Security benefits? Should I move my retirement funds or leave them in the military retirement plans? And is participation in the survivor benefit plan the best path? But unfortunately, we are out of time for today's episode. But because these questions are extremely important and are mission critical in getting right, please shoot me an email at chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com or give me a call at 253-214-3050. 
That's 253-214-3050, as I would be more than happy to answer these questions on a much more personal basis. I wish I could answer all these now, but again, with the combination of infinite customization in your situations at this point in your soon-to-be-retired lives, compliance issues galore with trying to answer every custom answer generically in my stinking podcast team giving me now the flashing red light. We're going to have to close out this wonderful episode, Capitalize Your Finances as Military Personnel. Now, lastly, if you are wanting to hop on the pod as a guest or are thinking of anyone that would be a great guest to have on our show, head on over to our podcast page, capitalizepodcast.com, where we check daily to answer fans' questions, comments, concerns they want the Cap and Capitalize to answer or special guests they'd like to have hop on the pod. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize, and until next time, keep capitalizing. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material is gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. No client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Capitalize Your Finances or from any other investment professional. IRA withdrawals will be taxed at ordinary income rates. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may also be subject to a 10% penalty tax. Roth IRA distributions of principal from a Roth IRA are tax-free. However, any earnings will be taxed at ordinary income rates and a 10% penalty tax will apply if withdrawn prior to age 59 and a half or within five years of the date the Roth IRA was established, whichever is longer. Distributions of principal from a Roth 401k are tax-free. However, any earnings will be taxed at ordinary income rates and a 10% penalty tax will apply if withdrawn prior to age 59 and a half or within five years of the date the Roth 401k was established, whichever is longer. Your investment options are limited with a Roth 401k to those offered by the plan administrator. Charges and fees may be incurred. Examples cited or hypothetical are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. S&P 500 Index is an unmanaged index and includes a representative sample of large cap U.S. companies in leading industries. An investment may not be made directly in an index. Before investing, carefully consider a mutual fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Diversification strategies do not ensure a profit and cannot protect against losses in a declining market. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk. Interest rate risk, bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall, financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Insurance services offered through LPL Financial or its licensed affiliates. California Insurance License Number 0518721. The information provided is based on current laws which are subject to change at any time. Capitalize Your Finances is not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Social Security rules can be complex. For more information about Social Security benefits, visit the SSA website at www.ssa.gov or call 800-772-1213 to speak with an SSA representative. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial.